Hey everyone, so welcome back to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast where your favourite, okay, your favourite black professional host is here today and you know I bring on some of the most incredible, inspirational trailblazers from all over the world from the black community and today I have a legend in the studio. No, actually, no, actual legend though. See, I was already smiling from her instruction for herself, but now I'm smiling from you too. Oh, we have Andy A.M., who is the founder of Angel Investing School. What's going on? What's going on? I'm really good to be here. We've already had a good conversation before even starting the podcast, so I'm really looking forward to getting into it today. Yeah, same. And I'm very honoured because I know people like you are very, very busy. So to take some time out for us. It's important. It's important. It's, it's, yeah, it makes me feel very grateful and very humble. So thank you. Absolutely. And your platform and what you're doing for the culture is important. So I'm always here for the culture. That's first and foremost. Yes. Thank you. Before we get into like the podcast episode, would you like to give your official intro to yourself? Absolutely. So my name's Andy Ayim. I've got two small hurricanes as children. <laughs> Live out, grew up in London, Ghanaian origin. And everything I do in essence is always around unlocking opportunity. And how do I unlock access to opportunity for more people like me? You know, so on the business side of it, I've got a business called the Angel Investing School, where we train professionals from all backgrounds on how to get started with investing into startups. So at the moment, there's a big issue around actually who's making money from investing in startups and who is actually the founders that they're backing. It's a very narrow audience. It's majority white middle class men. So now that I've broken into those networks, how do I bring others along with me into those networks that I have access to? And I also invest as an angel investor into some of these early stage businesses as well, which grow and go on to be some incredible businesses affecting the future of the world that we live in, which Mm. is pretty incredible to be back in these type of entrepreneurs. Then on the other side of the work that I do, which is equally around unlocking access to opportunity, I consult with an organization called SALT. And we go into the FMCG sector, which means fast moving consumer goods so companies like the Tesco's the Pizza Expresses the Nando's and we work with the leadership teams about creating environments where people can bring their difference Mm. and uh, subsequently hoping that that a lot of the entry-level staff can come from any background and feel at home and bring their difference and their brilliance too Mm. because me like many others out there came from working class backgrounds going into the professional work felt like two worlds colliding Mm. so this is my way of scaling our impact and enabling others to feel a lot more at home when entering into those first careers and, and going up into leadership in those type of environments. Mm, I love that. That was an introduction. You know, wait, wherever you hey. are. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan, Andy. Let me tell you something. I'm a big fan. Whenever I, I do talks or workshops or interviews, I like to clap people because sometimes that. we don't get, you don't get your flowers all no, the time. I appreciate that. So I appreciate that. That's, that's why it's important that you do what you do. We need people like you because... You know, a lot of times, sometimes you question yourself, you have an inner voice and you might have a doubt or you might have that imposter syndrome. Mm. And it may just be because you haven't got someone to cheer you on, you haven't got a sponsor, you haven't got a cheerleader, you haven't got someone that can clap you up. So yeah. I think it's really important, actually, that you've got friends and people around you that can do that. Yeah, I'm, I'm always be hype woman. Always, always. And I, I need it too, by the way. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm here. I'm <laughs> thank here you. for it. I'm here for <laughs> it. He's, he's, he's giving I'm it back. Thank it. you, thank you, thank you. So as we like to do, right, so I really want to get into kind of how you got into um, creating Angel Investors in School. But before we get there, I always like to know um, the person behind that. So mm. I like to understand your story, how you started off in life, effectively. So you can start off as young as two or <laughs> as young as 16, just where your journey really started for you and just kind of talk us through that. Is that all right? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my story is one of, of distance travelled. And as I tell it, I think it'll make more sense to why I describe it in that way. Um, So I grew up in Tottenham, North London. And for anyone that knows Tottenham, Tottenham's an area that's notorious, which means that it's known for the wrong reasons. Okay, (laughs) so, you know, like riots, uh, crime, fraud, robbery. This is what this area is known for. And it's quite sad, actually, because there's a lot of talent that have come out of that area that often people don't know about, Mm. from an Adele or a Skepta in music to business folk like myself. And growing up, I guess, uh, I always accepted that where I was born doesn't necessarily dictate where I end up in life. Mm. So I've always been very open-minded. And an example of that was when I was 21, um, I went backpacking to South America for three months. By yourself? By myself. Um, 
Can I ask what led to that decision, please? Absolutely. Thank you. And this is the real black response, by the way, because <laughs> at the time, my friends were saying, it's not a black thing to do. You're going to get killed. People like us don't do things like this. Mm-hmm. But what led to that decision was, I went to Brunel University. I took okay. a year out in industry. I worked as an accountant for a year, realized it's not really for me. But the thing that I was really curious about was everyone was telling me about these travels that they'd been on. Mm. And at that time, I'd only been to Ghana, my country of origin. And all I knew was Tottenham and Ghana. Mm. So I was just so curious about these adventures people were telling me about from these different journeys that they had been on. Mm. So I just said to myself, I'm going to feed my curiosity. And that's a strength of mine looking back because I've done that time and time again. Mm. And I'm going to travel somewhere that is foreign to me that I don't know just to immerse myself in a new culture and learn something new. And initially I said Africa. And I was very ignorant. I said, oh, no, but Ghana's in Africa and Africa's like Ghana. I didn't know Africa at that Mm. time. So I said, oh, South America is very interesting. I know nothing about this continent. I hardly can speak Spanish or Portuguese. So I'm going to learn how to do that over the next three to six months. And I book a flight into Peru. And this is a, a two-way flight. I'm going to fly into Peru. Three months later, I'm going to fly out of Brazil. In between, I'm not too sure what I'm going to do. But you have to just get to Brazil. I just need to get to Rio because that's how I'm getting home. So I've gone and I flew to, to, to Peru. And I remember on the plane, I was sitting next to a guy from Venezuela. Wait, pause one second. Sorry, before you, sorry, I know you're in the flow. What did your friends and family say when you said this, by the way? I just told you, it's not a black thing to do. You oh, might get killed. That's what my friend said. Oh, okay. My parents, and I have to give them credit, they've always trusted me to do the right thing when, when they're not in the room. Mm. And now, now that I'm a parent to children, like my aim is for my children to grow up to an age where I can trust them to make smart decisions when I'm not in the room. And I have to give them credit for that. I can't say they were very traditional in their Ghanaian thinking of that. I just think they were very liberated in that. Do you know what? Andy's always listened to us. He's gone to school. He's done all right. He Mm. stayed out of trouble. He hasn't been arrested. Mm. You know, he stayed out of the gangland lifestyle. Like he's doing all right. You know, he's had a few squabbles, but nothing too serious. So we trust him given that that he trusted us. Right. Okay. And I felt that, I guess, reciprocity. What do you say? Reciprocity. Yes. Reciprocity. I'd been everyone knows it's I trust that. I trust that they reciprocated. Yeah. I don't know. Exactly. It was reciprocated. They 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 trusted me and I trusted them and yeah. they allowed me to to do this. And I, and looking back it was a big thing for them to allow me to do at twenty one, never mm. been travelling anywhere in my life. But they just trusted the character of who I was and how I conducted mm. myself. And I'm fortunate I'm fortunate that he did. Okay. So I get back on, I get on this plane mm. from the UK to initially to Venezuela to stop off to then take another flight to Peru. And I sit next to this guy on the plane and he's from Venezuela. And I mean, he has like a typical like accent from, from the area <laughs> and he's, he's speaking to me about yeah. like, do you know where you're traveling to? Like there's about 300 deaths a week in Venezuela. People are getting stabbed every day. Like it's a very dangerous place. So I've obviously come from Tottenham. I'm not trying to go from Tottenham to Tottenham. Yeah. So he's telling me all these stories. I'm thinking, I'm walking in the airport in Venezuela, clutching my backpack, thinking, what am I doing? Like, do I really want to do this adventure? I get to Peru, it's like 1 a.m. in the morning, it's pitch black. And oh. at the time, I didn't understand there's a difference between a hostel and a hotel. I thought it was a typo. So I get to this place and I see all these bunk beds in this place. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? And obviously I'm not. At that time, I'm not, I ain't really got money like that. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not doing all right for that age, but I haven't got the money that I've got now. So I couldn't necessarily afford the lavish lifestyle. So I'm like, all right, let me sleep in this hostel. I remember padlocking my bag to the corner of the bunk bed for security. They must have thought in that room, like, what the heck am I doing? And I'm essentially sleeping in a room full of strangers on these bunk beds. Mm. I wake up the next morning and I make a decision that no one knows me. Mm. I can be whoever I want to be. Yes. I'm going to be myself and I'm just going to connect with people in a natural and authentic way. Mm. That next three months adventure was just incredible. One of the most pivotal experiences I've had in my life. I went in Peru and I camped up a mountain, did something called the Inca Trail. We have four days of camping up this mountain to about 3,000 feet above sea level. And then like drinking quinoa soup every day, like that incredible experience with a a small group of people. Then you get to an ancient city at the top of this mountain called Machu Picchu. And it's still there today. You see the architecture still there. And you learn about these ancient people called the Inca tribe that used to like communicate from mountaintop to mountaintop. So I've gone through this experience in Peru, which was incredible. And I'm like, wow, I would never have known about this. And I would never have felt this way if I didn't experience what I'd just been through. Mm. And on paper, like, it doesn't add up. Like, why is this boy from Tottenham doing this Inca trial thing over here? And you have to remember, in South America, I was like 
one of three black people I think I saw in like three months, apart from Brazil. So I do that experience in Peru. I go into Bolivia. I go into the salt flats, which is an incredible desert looking landscape with completely white salt, freezing like the weather here in Britain at the moment. And you can take these amazing like perspective pictures where it looks mm. like someone's eating me because I'm standing far and they're near and their mouth is open. You can take incredible pictures. Go through that experience. Then I go into the Pantanal, which is like the Amazon rainforest in Brazil. And there I'm sleeping in like a cabin in um, hammocks with bats flying at night and caimans, which are like crocodiles with red eyes at night when you're going to the toilet and you see them I'm outside. I'm sorry, what? You see crocodiles? Yeah, 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 yeah. Caiman, like all outside, didn't not doing anything to you. Otters, like as you're what? going to the toilet, then you're riding on horse horseback during the day. You've got anacondas probably that thick and like six times the length of this room. That, that's within like walking swamps. distance from you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, so I'm immersing myself. Wait, wait, sorry, you can't just past all of this stuff this is like this is like i'm a celebrity get me out of here yeah yeah it is like that yeah yeah so i'm seeing all That's sorts mad. of wildlife yeah and they don't harm you and no obviously i'm with a, i'm with a guide who who knows his way around and know like on the horseback so i'm not getting to actually touch the anacondas that are in the in the swamps and the waters oh you know so gosh. all the crocodiles like Caymans don't actually eat humans, I think so i think we we're safe there so i'm with someone that knows how to navigate the wildlife I love wildlife as well. Okay, so you're you're comfortable with that. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is the direction you wanted to go in, but No, no, no. I'm listening. Like this is this is your life. I'm 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 I can see your face. No, because I'm just thinking I'm hearing crocodiles and anacondas. I'm thinking these are dangerous animals. No, they are, they are. Like that can because I'm I get they're down there, but what if they just come up and decide to bite your head off? Fortunately they didn't. Fortunately, they didn't. So there's another. I have another tale to tell because of that, isn't it? So yeah. go through that amazing experience. Get to Rio de Janeiro, which is a beautiful place. Christ the Redeemer statue. You got the the Sugarloaf Mountain where you do the cable carts. You got the beaches. Incredible experience. Get down to Argentina, Chile, Paraguay, then come back to Brazil to fly back home. And some of the people that I met on those journeys, like who are strangers who became friends. I've ended up coming to stay at my house when I lived in Tottenham. Like we became lifelong friends. So just an amazing experience that just opened up my mind. And I was reading a lot along that that journey. And it made me realize that like reading and traveling are both correlated because they can introduce you into the perspective of a new world. The world of an author, the mm. world that you enter into when you travel on a plane. And it made me reframe my mindset around poverty and opportunity. You know, I've got cousins and people back home in Ghana who had high potential like me, but didn't have access to opportunities or couldn't do these things that I was doing. And it's just because I was born with this privilege, which I inherited of being born in London, that I could have this social capital, this education and, and get to a position where I'm doing experiences like this. Mm. And it really hit home after that experience. Mm. That's an incredible experience that you actually threw yourself in there. And I'm sure you had, did you have moments of like fear or Absolutely. what's going to happen? But you just Especially those it. first, I think that first 24 hours was like, what am I doing? Like, like, did I really think this through? Have I made a mistake? Mm. But then by the end of the three months, I was like, wow, like, I think I need to give myself more credit than it's due. I was mm. writing, I was writing detailed emails, which were like blogs back to my friends back home. I'll show you some of them after. Mm. Um, so they're getting these long emails with pictures attached. So they were getting an insight into like, wow, like this is different. And I've never known anyone to do this thing that Andy's doing. And it hit home when I got back home that, like, I've just introduced, like, my friends in my life to something so unique that they're probably never going to meet anyone else in their life that has done this kind of experience. Mm. And I'm probably the first person in my lineage of Ayims for the last 100 plus years who's ever gone to South America. Wow. So I'm probably the first person in my family history yeah. ever to go to South America. Yeah. So I've just done something momentous for my family name. And mm. it hit me in that kind of way. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. The thing is, when you say it like that as well, I'm thinking, do I, has anyone in my family gone to South America? Mm. No. No one in my family has. And we're, we're so in Jamaica. Like, why would they? Yeah. I mean, not we're in Jamaica, but we're Jamaican. We've gone in the States, we're in Canada, we're mm. all over, but we haven't actually gone to Jamaica at all. Like, if, yeah, if not Jamaica, there's um, South America, and I don't know why. Mm. That's crazy. Anyway, with that being said, you said that you travelled with some people along the way. Like, what type of people did you travel with? Like, how did you find them? How did you connect with them? Like, what was... So I started, I started signing up to tours. So on these tours, like people from, it was like, I got Linda from Switzerland, Johan from, from Denmark, 
you know, people from Germans, like from all over, not many black people, of course, mm. but people from all over who sign up for these tours to go on these experiences. Mm. So one experience was doing um, the Inca Trail. Another experience was like Bolivia. Another experience was uh, Brazil. So mm. some of the people came with me on multiple experiences. Some people, I only experienced them in that one experience. Mm. But it gave me a community each time I was traveling. We shared this I guess, open and honesty and trust around we're all travellers. Mm. And it's really unique, I think, in that like, as humans, there's more that we have in common in that what separates us. Mm. So in those moments from the outset, it's like, how can you trust these people with your belongings? How can you trust them That's with your thinking, life? How can yeah. you? But I think we, we, we do a disservice to humanity when we think in that way. Mm. And actually, the majority of people are good people. You know, it's, it's, it's us that layer on top because of the societies that we're in, especially in the Western world. Mm. You know, so when you're out there, there's almost like a... It's almost like unspoken values around trust, your belongings, like opening up and getting to know people and connecting with people from different backgrounds, mm. you know. And for all of them, it must have been a bit fascinating and interesting that that black person's coming on these adventures. Mm. That that might have been new for them. They may not even have black people back home where they live. You know, we forget even in the UK that we make up, what, 9% of the population in London. Yeah. And across the UK, it's a lot lower than that. You know, so we're a real minority. Mm. And I think we forget that because we have our small clusters of communities where it's our people then. Yeah. So we feel at home, but we forget that this is not representative of Harland and Liverpool and Leeds and, and you know, Derbyshire, <laughs> Lincolnshire, <laughs> you know. It's true. It's true. And you know what, even on, on that note, I remember just to, just on that point, I remember when um, BLM happened and um, one of my work colleagues who is from, I don't know, somewhere, Sha, and she called me saying, what's all this about? Like, what's happening? Mm. Like, you she were her go-to. You were her go-to. Because me and her got along at work and yeah. she was like, please don't think I'm, I'm silly, but I just yeah. never come across black people until I started working. Like, And that was eye-opening for me because I thought, wow, like, we really are like not present in all places in the UK like I thought we were Absolutely. you know so yeah to, to your point that is very that is very true but it must have been I feel like for this experience it must have connected you all because you all probably had an element of fear an element Absolutely. of this is new to you Absolutely. and you just kind of just wanted to have each other's back we were all vulnerable yeah like in the end of the day like there's all layers of different issues here that are intersectional like yeah I'm a man and sometimes I'm traveling with some women do they feel safe being around a man? Yeah. You know, like there's all sorts of layers there yeah. that are intersectional. Like, like how did I feel as, as an only black person in that environment? Yeah. I wasn't yet as used to that because in Tottenham yeah. it's very multicultural. Asians, yeah. Pakistanis, Bangladeshis, Irish, Scottish. So I hadn't entered the world of work professionally yet yeah. to really know how much of this is like two worlds colliding. Yeah. I hadn't experienced that that much yet at that point. You know. Do you know what I find? I even find interesting about this experience as well that you're explaining. I feel like there's different elements of, I guess, barriers or challenges that you tackled at once that people are typically going to go through in their lives, especially when it comes to maybe transitioning careers or starting a business, which is being in a different environment or being the only one or being the first one. Well, there's all of these different things. So it's. I feel like it's admirable for you to have pushed your character no, to that point, that. if that makes sense, yeah. to be like, I'm going to do this for my character. I mean, the closest thing I've done to that is live abroad for a year. Mm, um, but I but that's character defining as it well. Was, it was the best thing I could have done for And you myself. probably learned so much about yourself. Yeah. And I think that it's in those moments where we realise we didn't know ourselves as much as we thought yeah. we did. Yeah. And there's this book that I often reference um, by David Brooks. He's a New York Times columnist and he wrote a book called Second Mountain. Okay. And the first mountain is when you often ascend in your career and you're thinking about yourself, like, I want to get more skills. I want to get into these, this brand name company. I want to go up the ladder and get promoted. I want to earn this money. I want to buy this house. I want to get married. I want this, 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 this for myself. Mm. A lot of us go through that. It's common. It's not a problem necessarily. Mm. But a lot of us go through this moment of being in the wilderness where we almost like descend from the mountain. We're a bit lonely. We don't know what's next. We ask ourselves, who are we? We go on this discovery journey in the wilderness. Mm. I think it connects with a lot of biblical stories like mm. Jesus or Moses and these people that went in the wilderness for, for time to find out their new self. Mm. It's like a transformative experience, mm. you know? Um, and then you climb that second mountain, but that second mountain is foggy. You can't see the peak. There's yeah. numerous paths that you can take to lead to the top. 
it, but that mountain is all about being in service to something bigger than yourself. Mm. But in order for you to go into that second mountain, you must first spend time with the self and look internally and understand who this is and what my identity is in order for me to then be a full expression of myself and, and my most authentic self. And I had to go through that experience. And I think a lot of people have in their life at different stages. Yeah, I love, honestly, I love that. And I really hope that anyone that's listening or watching takes that away and thinks, that one thing that you're scared to do or that you've been thinking about, then I feel like this is your sign. You know, you get little signs. This mm. is your sign to this activate it. Because what's the worst that can happen? I mean, Andy's here today. He's lived to tell the tale. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. <laughs> crocodiles and all, like, and mountains and all. And I feel like when, when you're explaining everything, it's interesting. Um, I was picturing everything in my mind. And, mm, and I don't know. Visual. Now I'm going to Google it to see if my picture actually matched up. Mm. Or if you have pictures, show me because I would, yeah. I'm, I'm picturing the mountains mountains and then you kind of you said you um camped out and then yeah. being able to kind of see with the water around you and like mm. trees and forests i'm gonna show you show yeah, some show pictures me. after yeah, yeah yeah it just looks i feel like yeah it, it it does things to you and i think traveling in general um outside of your environments like what you said me like for me it expands the possibilities of what can be done in life when you see yeah. something you're like oh that's actually physically possible yeah. or you know or this person the the um stereotypical thing that's been painted out to me in my life that actually it doesn't apply to every person like this and do, do, you, know what do I mean? you know what else changed as well is that traveling had this multiplier effect on my life inside and out because yeah. suddenly when I started interviewing, the conversations were dominated with the places that we'd been to because I could now have that conversation. Yeah. So now I could really control a lot more of the narrative in an interview situation because yeah. I had a lot more that I could say in common with yeah. that person that was now interviewing me. Yeah, exactly. You know, so it came full circle. Like I was curious because I learned about it from working in this place. And then I realised when I speak to people in interviews that they've all, a lot of them have done it too. Yeah, so it's a nice like It's an easy bridge. It yeah, is. And it says a lot about you when they find out about you. Yeah, it, you it does. It really does. Interesting, even like last night when I was at dinner, I was talking about someone's going to Costa Rica and someone else said they've been to Costa Rica mm. and talking about the rainforest and stuff. And then have you been to Costa Rica? I have well? actually, yeah. So a different trip, yeah. Oh, what is it like? I went with my wife, I think, to Costa Rica actually. It's, it's beautiful, incredible. I, lo I love wildlife. I grew up watching David Attenborough and I think in another life I would probably be like his succession plan and taking over his job. Like yes. I love, I love nature and wildlife and I think there's so many lessons that I learned even from like looking at plant life and, and animal life and yeah. versus like how we how we navigate as humans. Hundred percent. I think when whenever I sit down and watch like shows on like lions and mm. plants, I just think these are so they're so smart mm. like there's so many lessons there's so many lessons or there's so many things in this like the other day i was watching a show about plants and i didn't realize that you know when the um the plants in the forest or the jungle they go up it's because they they're looking for light they're yes. basically searching for they're, they're fighting for light and yeah. i'm like oh my gosh like they especially they, in the rainforest that yeah. you described yeah i was watching thinking oh that's really that's really smart like mm. these i don't know that these, like, these things were a thing last night when i was at, at dinner um everything that was made was like made in a I don't know, in a sustainable, like mm. natural way. And when I was explaining how like these mushrooms were made and how these bailiffs, these, um, what was it? Basil was made. Oh, they probably grow it on site, they, on their yeah, roof or something. They, yeah. they, one of them said that they go to a family's home and they, she said something, they use something different to soil. And I don't know, I just, you, you just realise that, oh my gosh, there's so much to nature. There's so much you can yeah. do once you understand the breadth of you know nature and natural environments and Absolutely. stuff so and i think the two connections of your last night experience and traveling is it gives you stories yeah people connect to stories yep you, you have know? more depth to you yeah like yeah. you remember that story from last night yeah i mean one thing i, I mentioned because we had to go around and say what our um, guilty pleasure was i said i get a tattoo in every country i go to wow so, like, See, that's like fascinating. In their, yeah in their language so obviously i have mine here and then it's crazy because then one of the women on the table was there for like two hours talking she was like oh my gosh i have one that i got in another country as well and she that. showed me and then and we was just like just it's common ties yeah yeah and then we'll going deep as to why we got what we got and yeah. how we got what but you we see got. what i'm yeah. saying about how there's more that we have in common and what separates us yeah. we just need to find that commonality exactly and, and it could more. be the most absurd thing but mm -hmm. you have to be comfortable with sharing sharing that yeah. in order to kick off this relationship exactly. and now there's something magical that happens that 
you might have only met that woman once, but you can pick up a conversation like that because you've got this memory that you both share. Exactly. That's you can email her in six months' time and she'll, she'll reply. She'll know me, yeah. 100% I yeah. know she'll reply yeah. because of what you shared in that moment. Exactly. It's no, magical. That's, that's, that's so true. Like, honestly, I think that was... Like, you doing that and you even reiterating that, reminding us of that is making me feel like, do you know what, Alicia? Continue to live brave. Absolutely. Continue to do things that are a little bit different to what you've done before. Absolutely. You know, get have Absolutely. new experiences because it helps, it builds you, it shapes you. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And now I'm like, I'm in my mid-30s and when I look back, all of it, travelling to work, it's all about the same thing, building meaningful relationships. Yeah, yeah. Being, building meaningful relationships and getting away from the monetary and just thinking about building authentic relationships and connections with people. Yeah. Knowing that you never know where you'll lead or you never know what you'll learn. Yeah. And a lot of the learning has always come from the edge of my comfort zone, whether in work or travelling. Mm. And and that's what I'd encourage with people around exploring your curiosities in this way is that that's where the learning and leaps of in learning really occur. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, um, so just to kind of progress then, mm. um, I want to touch on um, Mixtape Madness. Mm. Yeah, because I just that came was... from their offices this morning. Did you? Yeah. Because, because that was a massive part of like our, like our culture back in the day, that. you know? So I just want to, I want you to talk us through the journey of Mixtape Madness and yeah. kind of how that came about and kind of, yeah, where, where it is today and so forth. So Mixtape Madness, um, I was at university, first, yeah, university at the time at Brunel. Mm. And um, I remember this vividly because I have a good friend called Eddie. He's one of my close friends till today. And he's one of the co-founders of Mixtape Madness. Mm. And um, I spoke to him about um, investing in YouTube at the time. Mm. And you can imagine how early this was. Um, YouTube hadn't been acquired by Google. I didn't understand at the time that you can't invest into privately held companies unless you have access. What do you mean? So YouTube um, was started by a couple of co-founders mm. and they raised money mm. from individuals and then financial institutions like VCs. Mm. I can't have invested in, in YouTube unless I was in that network because mm. I didn't have access to. Mm. Versus a company like, um, like Coca-Cola or Microsoft or Tesco today that's listed on the public markets, mm. I can go into an app like Hargreaves and Lansdowne and buy stocks. You can't invest in YouTube in the same way until mm. it got acquired by Google. Got you. Does that make sense? Mm. But I didn't understand that at the time. Mm. I think a lot of people hearing this are just, have just learned that themselves. <laughs> there's a private I market have, yeah. and there's a public market. Mm. Public market is when a company gets listed. Like I could have listed any other company like Cadbury's or right. uh, Apple or Google. Um, and then we've got a private market where companies like Uber raised money for eight, for years before floating on the public market where now we can invest in Uber. Airbnb for years before floating on the public market, now we can invest in Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And and that journey is an important one because those early investors made um, a lot of money along that journey until they go into the public market. So there's a lot of wealth that's created for the founders, the early employees and the investors in those businesses. Mm. But we'll put that aside for a second because mm. I'm going to digress from the Mixed Madness story and turn into my angel investing story if I'm not careful. So then with Eddie, I was like, oh yeah, I want to invest into YouTube. We didn't know how, so we didn't do it. And at the time we started brainstorming around like, we love hip hop and grime music. There's three things that we were fascinated with growing up, Eddie mm. and I. And I would say it was um, hip hop and grime music, US and UK. Mm. Um, and I mean, all of the your, my favorite artists. I mean, like, I used to listen to Pirate Radio, DWE, and Nasty Crew, and Pay As You Go, and Heartless Crew, and you know, Dizzy Rascal, and Kano, and all of these mm. artists that some people may know now, some may not. You know, early days of SBTV and Ed mm. Sheeran and whatnot. Um, so we're fascinated with music culture in the US and UK, especially hip hop and, and grime. We're fascinated with how businesses fit together and like how businesses work. And we're fascinated with technology. Like right. I used to walk like 25 minutes from my house in Tottenham to this technology center and sneak in at night and play like Super Nintendo games on their, on their computer. You just sneak into buildings. Yeah, but at the time, I, looking back, I didn't commit no crimes apart from going into a building that's not mine, but it's because I was so fascinated <laughs> yeah. with technology and I wanted access to the internet. Mm. And that's what I was willing to do back then to gain access. You know, and I went with my brother and a few friends. So me and Eddie started talking about how in America there's these websites and these websites that make it easy to listen to hip hop music and mixtapes. Mm. That was like the big thing back then. But in the UK, we didn't have the equivalent. So it was very hard for me to find a mixtape from Retch Free 2. It might be on a dodgy little forum like Grime Forum or Lime on a MySpace or LimeWire or Torrents. Mm. But there was no central location online to consume and download this music. So Eddie and I, alongside my brother Quabs, 
and um, uh, a friend of ours called Kingsley and uh, a friend of ours called Maz, five of us, mm. decided to come together and create a landing page initially. So this is a one-page website mm. with an ability to submit your email address. And all it had in the website was pictures of mixtapes, UK mixtapes. Question, what year was this? At like 2009. So it's before Spotify, before That's what I was iTunes. Ask. Was, yeah. was Spotify not around in no. 2009? Spotify and iTunes. Or Tidal. They're not created yet. Nope, nope, Apple nope, Music. Nope, nope. Back then it was Kazam. Shazam? No, Kazar. Was it that download torrent website? Was, you're basically downloading torrents. When you're watching illegal movies or illegal music, you'll be downloading it. Yeah, none of this was here. Bear Share. Pandora. No. None of it. No. Not back oh, then. Wow. Yeah. So obviously Just we like something new there. I thought Spotify's been around for like since I've been yeah, 2000s. No, no, it wasn't out yet. Daniel Eck out in Sweden hadn't created it yet. So back then we said let's create a central location online where we can consume and download this music that we love. But before we do so, let's make sure people want it. So we created this one page website where you could just put your email address in and we started going to um universities at the end of raves and getting people signing up. Like, are you interested in this? Put your email address in. Are you interested? Put your email address in. So we went to different raves to get people signed up to build up a mailing list. And mm. before we knew it, we had about, um, I think, three or 400 people signed up. I said, all right, we've got enough people. Let's now start coding and uploading the website, mm. like mixtapes to the website. Kingsley could code at that time. The rest of us had to learn to code so that we could just upload mixtapes to the website. And again, it feeds, it's about, if you're curious, you figure out, you, you learn that everything's figure outable. Yeah. And you have a mentality that we're, we're all problem solvers. Mm. So nothing is impossible. And I think that's a confidence you probably had growing up in an environment like Tottenham. And that's some of the transferable skills you actually get from those environments. Mm. So you end up uploading uh, about 300 mixtapes. My question. Sorry, I have to put this up. Question. Where did you get mix? Where, like, where did they come from? How did you? All sorts of places. Some was the torrent websites like BearShare. Mm. Some was like maybe a, a website like gigs.com. It wasn't gigs.com, but like his mm. actual website. Some was like, like a, a forum mm. where we so it was all in disparate places so mm. the opportunity for us was how can we centralize it and bring it to this one place that mm. was the opportunity and that's what we did initially mm. so we launched the website and people started loving it mm. and we knew that people loved it because anytime that we had bandwidth issues and the site had to go down for like a couple of hours you'll see people on twitter angry like oh where's the website screenshot it's gone down again mm. i just wanted to listen to my favorite artist mm. and then when it goes back up again people with pride would share like oh look mixate man this is back up again mm. so that told us that wow we really have a community that really loves what we're doing mm. and then we had to figure out how can we make money doing what we're doing which we figured out across the years um, and it really took off from there. And then there was a few really smart growth hacks across the years. Like Maz came up with this idea of editing Wikipedia pages. So that anytime you go on an artist Wikipedia page, that like Skepta, all of his mixtapes will backlink into Mixtape Madness. How can you do that? You can't do it now, but there was a window of opportunity back in the day when anyone could edit a Wikipedia page. Really? Yeah, and then they'll verify it. Yeah. So that led to a lot of our traffic in the early days. So how did you make money from it was a number of ways back then like advertising working in partnership like on partnership deals giving the audience that we had amassed of over a hundred thousand listeners regularly every month uh it, people had to pay to upload a mixtape if they were like a new artist that wanted to get discovered and could pay for like promotional packages and then as soon as like itunes and spotify came along and soundcloud we started building audiences on those platforms so mixtape madness had pages on those platforms had playlists and started plugging music on those platforms and growing on those platforms. Then we eventually got to YouTube and started these series. First it was Mike Merkers, then Next Up. I remember up. them. Yeah, yeah. Then, then Mad About Bars with Kenny Allstar, the DJ mm. who's now at One Extra. And that stuff just helped us grow exponentially. And then today there's a few artists under the label and whatnot, but I'm, I'm no longer a part so of the So it's a label now? It's a part label, part like music discovery platform. So it's still there today? As a yeah, 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 it's still running today. Yeah, yeah, seven-figure business, doing really well. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. Mm, so that's 15 years of, of graft and no external funding, no VC, no angel. Really? Didn't know what that stuff was back then. How did you manage to, I guess, get people like... Okay, so starting your own show where you did the Mad About Bars and everything, how did you manage to get traction and everything for these, um, for these shows? It was always hard to get the stars, like someone that's already famous. Yeah. So our model was always around this um, concept called The Long Tail. And there was an editor of Wired magazine called Chris Anderson who wrote a book called The Long Tail. And it was a theory that if you, for free, for example, get the mixtapes of the top artists like Dizzy Rascal and Skepta and Wretch, 
and you don't ask them to pay you just upload it out of convenience and share it with them to let them know that it's up here and they can share it with their fans that will lead to all of the volume in terms of traffic then to all of the long tail of small artists you can charge them and let them piggyback off that traffic so that they get new listeners to their music and that was our business model that was genius when we learned that we applied it and it worked that's amazing yeah it's really smart looking back actually but I feel like that was really good yeah you know when you don't you're just figuring things out so you don't realize what you're doing at the time and how how incredible it is you're just kind of going through it do you know what i mean so that's what we were doing back then and yeah the business is still around today and, and it's done very well since i've left sick something's bigger business as well as well like that's amazing yeah, yeah, yeah. why did you leave like what's what's, what's the reason so sound, I, you sound passionate about it still yeah so i i left at the time because um i was a management consultant it was my day job and i was doing that on my evenings and weekends okay. and i was at the time, I, I moved to South South Africa and I, I was working in South Africa for about a year and a half before moving to San Francisco to work to what? work with like entrepreneurs and, and, and VC investors. Mm. So it opened up my mind so much. I was no longer in love with that initial problem that I was solving for mm. like the young grind kids from the block. I was like, my mind has expanded. And instead, I've seen this, this opportunity around who gives and gets investment. And I don't think it's fair. And I think there's something I can do about that. So I kind of grew to solve another problem. Right. Does that make sense? And then Maz actually left as well. And he started a company called Translate Culture, which is a digital agency. And he now works with like seven and eight figure, like black owned e-commerce brands on the digital marketing. And that's his whole, his whole bag and his community he has an amazing conference every year called Direct to Culture. Um, so we're all in contact, all still friends. Like our kids are still friends and whatnot. But um, Maz and I left to do separate things whilst uh, Kingsley, Eddie and, and Quabs grew the business significantly. That's amazing. So just highlight and also like shout out to all of your friends that you've managed to kind of do business with because I feel like it's not easy doing business with friends. So many different personalities, perspectives, directions. Absolutely. But it's, it's, it's admirable that you've managed to still maintain the relationship yeah. and still successfully support them but still do what you was newly passionate about as well. Yeah, which can be a hard conversation as yeah. well, obviously. Yeah. yeah, it can be hard because I, I mean... If I was to think about that, I remember doing work with um back in the day, um doing like a date dating events with me and my friends. I remember when one of them wanted to drop out. I took it so personal. Mm. I, I took it so personal. Yeah. Then I was like, fine, let's just end it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's but obviously now I wouldn't do that. But but that when I was a bit younger, that that can definitely happen. Yeah. But out of interest, how did your um. I guess your curiosity or your your I guess what was your journey to to understanding more about VCs fundings from Mixtape Mandis that talk us through that. Do you know what it was? Is that when I was in San Francisco and I was I was there for almost a year living in San Francisco and and just to paint a picture for people, San Francisco mm. and Silicon Valley are right next to each other in in um, California. Mm. And the companies that have come out of there are Google's, Snapchat was in LA. Like a lot of the internet companies we know today have come from that region of the world. Mm. Okay, so that's the significance of that place. And there's a lot of capital in that place that is invested into these companies. Mm. So when I when I was sitting at the board tables at a lot of these leading VC firms, Andreessen Horowitz, Greylock Partners, I don't, they just were names really. Mm. But I saw the plaques on the wall and the plaques of the wall represented the internet I know today. I saw everything on there from from Google to YouTube to eBay. And I'm like, they have literally invested in the internet. This is before mm. Uber was really big. You know, they were telling me like Snapchat was in the room opposite, getting incubated at Lightspeed Ventures when I was there mm. before it launched. So like, mm. I, I understood the influence that they had and I mm. saw no black partners and I saw hardly any female partners. So for me, I was like, wow, this is so concentrated in terms of who's deciding who gives and gets investment. Wait, one second. How did you get in that room? That's a good, great question. So um, I was with a management consultancy called... So this is an important backstory, actually. So my first kind of professional job was at a consultancy called um, Ernst & Young. Okay. The reason that I got into Ernst & Young was because I had a mentor that sadly passed away this year who introduced Sorry. me to two people who worked there and three people who used to work there. I still have my notes till today on my Google Drive that I took from those conversations. Those people taught me the language, the, 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 the rules of engagement in this game, how to pass an interview and assessment center. And they translated for me what a career at Ernst & Young in Management Consulting is. 
So they gave me a language and a confidence to ace the interview and assessment center and get a job there. If not, for Francis making those introductions, I would never go in. And that's the sad thing, because I think there's thousands, if not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of young people from ENDS who are capable of doing those jobs, mm. but will never get in because they don't have the social Context. capital that I had. Yeah. So when I get in and I'm doing a great, great job and everyone's giving me good feedback, I'm like, there's so many more of yeah. me who could be in here. Mm. And, and that's what I'm saying about this whole act, like unlocking access to opportunity thing. Mm. That's why I do the work with SALT. That's why it's right, so important yeah, to me. Yeah. So I get into Ernst Young, I do a good job, but I feel like a small cog in a massive wheel. It's such a big organization, 150,000 people. They're telling me what they want my career to be. And it's conflicting because on the one hand, I'm like, this is what my parents wanted for me. I'm in a brand. Mm -hmm. If I just play the game for 15 years, I can become a partner and earn good money and have a, a decent lifestyle. Hopefully it doesn't come at the sacrifice of my family, mm -hmm. my kids and my future wife and whatnot. But do I really love what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. I'm probably 60% of my most authentic self. I was like, nah, there's something, I need to do something more entrepreneurial. So it's a big decision. I was like two years in, I was still quite junior in, in some respects, but I was already feeling like, mm, I know what I'm doing. I, I can understand this game. I can excel in this environment. This is not mm. going to be enough for me. I could already see that. Mm. So I decided to go backpacking again. But this time oh. I take my younger brother and I take my friend Cell with me. And we go to East Africa this time. And we camp outside for 30 days from Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe up through Malawi, through Tanzania to Zanzibar, then back to Kenya and we do the Serengeti, which is the wildlands where the lions and hyenas and we're sleeping with, with giraffes. Nah, I am done. We're sleeping what? 30 days camping outside with the wildlife, going to in the nights, make sure there's no lions in the camp, that kind of stuff. And then, and sometimes they say in the morning, like our oh, hyenas were in the camp, you can see their wee marks here and stuff. So we do that for 30 days and then I come back to the UK. Why? Because uh, the reason that I did it this time around was because that first time around I did it alone and I felt like there was so much I wanted to share with people, hence right. the long emails. This time around I want to go on an experience where I can share it with people like close to home. Mm. So to go with my friend Selwyn with my younger brother was beautiful to be able mm. to share that experience with them. Until today, we've got this special connection, all of us, because of that, that mm. trip that unites us. So we camped for 30 days, sleeping outside, roughing it out. With lions. It's my like... first time camping as well. I've never camped, well, apart oh from the Inca gosh. trouble, it's my first time really camping. Um, How yeah, did you with Zebra, Zebra, we joined the tour. Uh, so we camped with the tour for 30 days. Mm -hmm. That took us around these places. Incredible experience, beautiful side of Africa, completely different to Ghana, completely different to South Africa where I lived um, for a year and a half. So incredible experience. Another one, again, a path of discovery. I come back, I'm like, okay, I land in the airport, receive a text message. My brother comes to pick me up with my uncle. I learned that day I landed, my younger brother and I, that my dad had passed away. Oh no. As soon as I land back. And he had dropped us to the airport to go on this trip in oh the first place. Oh my gosh. Was he sick before? Nothing. Nothing. Just a heart attack. Oh like surprise. My gosh. No one expected it. My brother and my elder brother and my mum was around at that time, but my younger brother and I had gone travelling obviously, so we had come back and that come back crazy. to that news. It was crazy. I'm so sorry. So obviously mentally, this was a decade ago. So mentally I came back and I was just in a very confused state. And like in Ghanaian culture, when something happens like that, the, the kind of village, the family comes around. So mm. I, I get home, my first interaction coming back is my house is full. And I'm like, almost like looking for physical and mental space. So I, I remember going to my room, closing the door and just, just going to sleep. I was exhausted, you know? So we go through this experience and um, it leads me to say like, all right, like, Things have changed. I need to go back to what I know, but I want mm. something more entrepreneurial. So I'm going to join another management consultancy, but I'm mm. going to join a really small one, which is a bit more entrepreneurial where I have more responsibility. Mm. So I joined this firm at the time, which is quite new called Elixir. Mm. And there was like 25 people there at the time. And there was some ex-Accenture partners that set up the business. And that's where I traveled to South, Af South, South Africa to work with them. And then an American partner joined a business called Brandon. And he had this idea, this novel idea of starting a new strategic, um, strategic startup outpost out in San Francisco. Mm. So he didn't have much of a business plan, but we said, um, we, I interviewed internally and he picked me because of my mixtape madness experience and my, my enthusiasm of entrepreneurship and my knowledge. And we ended up flying out to San Francisco and I get an apartment and it's for seven months, we have to figure out a business plan from scratch. So I ended up, so that's how I ended up in San Francisco. 
end up networking with some of the leading VCs there because America, unlike England, that everyone's willing to take a first meeting with you. Mm. And it's a really good thing about the open innovation culture that they've shaped there. The other thing that's really good about the culture there is that failure is seen as a badge of honor and a, and, and a part of the journey to success. Mm. Whereas demonized here in the UK and you feel a sense of shame when you talk about failing at something here. Mm. So it taught me about the mindset and the environment that's necessary in order, in order to nurture innovation and entrepreneurship. Mm. And I learned that being out there. The other thing it taught me was that your CV and your past experience on, in terms of a job shouldn't limit you from future opportunities mm. I'd never created a business within a business before but I was very confident that I could because I knew that everything was figure outable and I'm a problem solver and I've done that in the past with Mixtape Madness so I knew that I could do that here mm. I've done that in the past when I've gone travelling so I knew that I could do that here mm. so we built up this business it ends up generating over a million in revenue of the, after the first year what was the business? it was just a, it was basically um, a business development team that would work with the VCs in San Francisco mm. and our consultant clients in Africa and the UK. They would pay us to fly out to San Francisco, get an emerging technology tour about like AI, machine learning, drone deliveries, and then we'll introduce them to relevant startups that can solve their problems. So they'll procure right. services from those startups that we introduced them to. Okay. That was the whole business model. It worked really well. Elixir actually went on after I left to go to flow on the on the alternative investment market, which means that they're now publicly listed. Mm. So as a consultancy, they've gone on an incredible journey. And you know, the founders are, are millionaires because of that journey that they've been on. Mm. So to be a part of that journey was incredible. Mm. And again, it was very hard to leave that place because I could see the future of where they were heading. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm. So that's how that was that was the backstory as to how I got into San Francisco in the first place. Okay, that makes total sense as well. Yeah. And you know what? There's a lot of things that you highlighted there before you continue with when you was um, I haven't forgotten the image where you're sitting down and seeing the plaques where they're mm. but before it's a good thing you mentioned about I guess not even nepotism, but just knowing that the power of who you know. I've Social that. capital. Yeah. That's why I talk about distance travelled in my journey so much. Yeah. Yeah, because I think like even <clears throat> Even me going to like events and networking events abroad, I've connected with people from all over the world mm. that I can I can contact. Even this week, I met someone that was based in New York, had a really good relationship with them. They was like, "Come and stay and come and come and see me anytime." That's like, I'm like, "Yeah, come to London anytime." Like that's the the power of that is so important because you don't know how many doors doors that's gonna open. Absolutely. And I learned that as well after university because I'm not really academic. Um, I'm not terrible mm. in school, but I'm not really, I wasn't the smartest person. Mm. But I've noticed that I was one of the first to get a graduate job. I was mm. one of the first to... Because um, you've got other to, skills where you yeah, are smart. Yeah. Which we downplay in school, which are really important we, for life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm... I'm and I would say I'm on a good career trajectory because of who's willing to vouch for me, who trusts Absolutely. me, who likes me. Because you're a safe because, pair of hands. Yeah, yeah, do you know what I mean? So, and I think, I'm like, oh, these are skills that I didn't realise. I thought they were just, in school I was told, listen, you're, you're too chatty or she talks mm. to everyone, she, she's too like this. But that was actually a skill that could have been, I don't know, developed or, you know, in, in in some way, they could highlight it that this is actually a really strong skill that you have. Yeah. This is how you can nurture it, develop it into life. I had to figure it out. But you're right. I've seen the benefits of that completely. Yeah. But I have a question on that before we go into your story. Absolutely. Do you think everyone has the ability to really nurture and build upon relationships? Or do you think it's a more of a natural skill set? It's a great question. I think there's certain things that separate us as humans from animals. I think our... I think relationships is actually something that we have in similar, that are very similar with animals. In that animals, like, and I don't think of a lioness, like my daughter's named after, like her name means lioness of God in Hebrew. Mm. And a lioness is a really interesting animal because on the one hand, she's the hunter. Mm. She kills for her, for her uh, she kills prey for, to feed her cubs. Mm. So she's the aggressor. On the other hand, she's the nurturer. She's the one that will protect them when another male comes into the pride and tries to eat them or kill them. Mm. So Linus is both the aggressor and both the nurturer in that relationship. Mm. And if I look at human relationships, I think we, we all have the ability to, to build relationships and we we're never meant to be born to be, to be alone or lone, lonely. I think the human experience is meant to be a shared experience for everyone. Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone was meant to navigate this world alone. I think it's a sad state where we are lonely and it's not our natural gear, which is why it feels so bad. So I think all of us have an ability. And I mean, people even that are um, maybe have disabilities. We are all meant to 
for meaningful relationships. Mm. And meaningful relationships doesn't mean that you can speak the same language. There's people that I can't even say much words to, but we've laughed at the same things, shared the same memories, mm. shared a moment, and because of that, we connected. Mm. You know? So there's people that will listen to this that will feel like they know me. Like mm. Andy's one of my tribe, mm. even though we've never met. It's the reason why footballers have this stadium that gives them energy to perform mm. and it feels so connected to the fans and the club mm. because we've created this experience where it's so shared. Mm. These affinities that we go through in our life with family, with sport, with an entertainer like a Beyonce, mm. with these digital role models, it's so important. And there's a famous picture I often share when I'm giving talks um, of Obama when he was in office. Mm. President Obama, all of our big brothers, Sorry. and Michelle, all of our big sisters. <laughs> and in this picture, um, there's a young kid who's taken a tour of the White House, and his name is Jacob Philadelphia. And his dad worked in the White House as a security officer. Mm. So, you, so it got to the point where Obama asked, like, oh, do you have any questions? And usually, when you have questions for the president, you often submit them, like, weeks in advance, so that he's not blindsided. Mm. So that... They didn't expect Obama to ask him, did he have a question? They didn't know what he was going to say. So Jacob replies. So Obama then says, can you say it louder? I didn't, I didn't hear what you said. Mm. So he bends over, he listens to him and Jacob says, is your hair like mine? So Obama bends over and Jacob like feels his hair. And that's where the picture is taken mm. when he's feeling Obama's hair. Mm -hmm. And this is like an eight-year-old kid. But in that moment of feeling Obama's hair, he realized that the president of the free world's hair is just like mine. So if he can become president, mm. imagine what I can become. Mm. And that's the power of relevant role models. Yeah. And sometimes people that we know personally, sometimes just people that we hear about or learn about third hand. But it's so powerful where we can identify with someone in an environment and feel like we belong to. Mm. And a lot of the work that I do and the reason that I come on podcasts is, is, is actually for that reason. Mm. It's the reason why I valued getting an MBE. Because... If I can be a role model that someone can look up to and say there's space for me in the technology sector, there's space for me as an investor, there's space for me to be myself and have locks and have a gold teeth and have tattoos and add value in these environments, mm. I'm all for it. Mm -hmm. That's my legacy. That's why when I talk about unlocking access to opportunities, is mm. doing that work. Mm. You know, and again, that's a shared experience. That's all about relationship. Yeah. Exactly, that's powerful. I'm clicking, clicking, clicking. That was that's powerful. No, I appreciate it. Like, this is a very different conversation that I normally have on than I normally have on podcasts. So I appreciate your ability to go into certain spaces and places that I feel like hosts don't usually go with me. So you've done a really good job today. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. I can you. really give you your flowers. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Nice because I think I mean you're very curious. Yeah, mm. that's that's just how I am. It's a well, natural curiosity <laughs> as well. It's not even forced. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just interested to kind of hear your thoughts and hear you know yeah. hear what you know about things. And, and you know what? I appreciate that. I don't know whether you wrote questions down or you didn't. But I'm happy that you're really willing to meander off the path mm. and go naturally where you feel is right with the conversation mm. rather than feel like I have to stay rigid mm. to whatever I prepared ahead of this conversation. Yeah, I feel like that for me and for also for any guest that's on here, I feel like it just feels a bit more natural and listeners can get more substance and depth because there might be things, can you imagine I stick to the programme and there's yeah. actually a question that someone might be thinking of that I have and we didn't yeah. get to cover it. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? And with absolutely. our schedules, when am I ever going to be able to ask that question mm. on there again? Let me just ask it and get to that. Do you know what I love about what you just said is I think that's an analogy for life. Mm. I think in life, there's always a path where it's like, I could just stick to that path and play it safe and I'll be okay. But if I meander off the, off the path, I feel I'm going to get so much more from this life and I only have one life to live. So we've got to meander off the path and we'll always find our way back on track. You know, we've got to trust ourselves that we can. Always. But but also, I also have an additional theory, which is no one's lived in the future. Mm. So you actually don't know what's going to, like, you don't know what's going to happen. Absolutely. Even the path that you think is going to be that way. I might predict and say, I'm going to ask these questions and this is how you're going to answer. I don't know. 100%. It hasn't happened, if that makes sense. Yeah, but you allow for it. It's like, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll lean into whatever, wherever we need to go. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but... I do want to also talk about um, Angel Investing School. Mm -hmm. And you were talking about the plaques on the wall and mm -hmm. that was leading to that story. Yeah. So can we can we go back there? Yeah. <laughs> so so I, I, I looked into the data because I was really curious to understand like, okay, so who's actually invested and who's benefiting from these investments? And I learned that, mm. you know, in certain reports like Diversity VC's 2019 report, it says that 
87% of venture capitalists are, are white male. Mm. It says that less than 1% of founders who receive capital are black and less than 0.02% are black women. So let's say all it's 0%. So I said, there's a relationship with who's giving away the money and who's receiving the money. How can I influence them? On paper, again, I had no right. I have no background. I have no work in history in this space, but I've never let that be a barrier to, to create in the future. So I started initially writing blogs, then newsletters, then speaking on events. And then I got headhunted to work for a VC firm called Backstage Capital by a woman called Arlen Hamilton. And even that story was incredible because I started a podcast just like this. It was called Technicity at the time. And I interviewed a number of people, including Arlen Hamilton. Mm. I never released a single episode. But off the back of my conversation with Arlen, I said, why don't you come to the UK? Based on what you shared, mm. I think you're going to find there's some shared inequalities that we have here. Mm. So come and I'll introduce you to different people in the startup ecosystem. Investors, investors that back investors, founders, angel investors. Mm. You just come and we'll do a number of like public and private events to get you into the ecosystem. Mm. So we do that. And off the back of that, in one of the meetings, she said, he doesn't know it yet, but I want Andy to become my managing director of this new accelerated business that I want to start. So I go on this journey with her, raise two and a half million, launch these startup yeah. programs in Philadelphia, LA, Detroit, and then in London, where I was the managing director. End up investing that two and a half million into 25 different underrepresented founders, so LGBT, Sick. women, people of color. Yes. But quickly realized in doing that work that... A lot of these founders share a commonality in terms of their working class backgrounds and they struggle to gain social capital into the, into the investors or experienced entrepreneurs. So because of that, they struggle to close their funding rounds. Mm -hmm. So even if we put 100,000 in, they struggle to, to get that 300,000 or 500,000 because they didn't have the connections. They didn't know how to speak the language. They didn't know how to tell the right story. So they struggled with fundraising. So at the back of that, I said, I need to do something about that. They call it the friends and family round, that first round of funding. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how can I help on that round? So I started the angel investing school based off the back of that. So I'm always a, a curious problem solver. It's like, mm, that's a problem. How do I solve it? That's a problem. How do I solve it? And it just leads me to my next, my next growth journey. Mm. Sometimes as a business, sometimes as an employee, I don't care. As long as I'm solving the problem. Then you're fine. Yeah. I've never been romantic with being the center of attention or the entrepreneur or the one in the limelight. I just more focused on who wants to solve this problem. Is there someone existing? All right, I'll join you. And so yeah. if there's something I need to create, yeah, all right, angel investing school. And now over the last three years, we've trained 500 individuals from across the globe, over 50 countries. We've done corporate work with Google. That's one of our case studies. We trained 100 black Googlers. They launched a group called the, the Black Angel Group. They've invested 3.5 million into startups since our training. You know, so this is the activation from the work. You know, and going into the work, I never knew these stories of, of impact. All I knew is that I need to focus on impact over intent. Yeah. And I know that at some point I'll arrive. I'm starting to arrive. That's incredible. That's so much you've accomplished. No, I appreciate That's it. That's so much you've accomplished. I feel like, like I'm just getting started. No, but this, but I, I know for a fact that this is, yeah, this is a part of your journey and you're going to go even further and do even more, have bigger impact just because of the nature in in your character. Yeah. Wanting to solve problems all the time, like just not stopping, like... I love that. I'm I'm inspired by that as I well. Because that. sometimes people ask me and say, what's your end goal? What's your vision? And I'm saying, right now, this is the problem I'm solving. But that might change in, yeah. in a couple of years time, if that makes sense. If, yeah. if I'm doing a good job, maybe the problem doesn't need to be, to, to be focused on. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, might, I might have a different problem to solve. Job, yeah. yeah. So I think that's inspired me because then I have, I have thought, wow, what would actually be next if I, if I don't do this mm. anymore? Or if there's, is, you know, if it's not as, Im not important, but I've done yeah. enough, but you've just literally inspired me from saying all of that and, and doing and all of this. Do you know what, part of my security and what I do is, um, my mentor said this to me and it's always stuck, is like, your skill set is your safety there. So if you really know what you're skilled at, you'll always be highly employable, highly mm. in favour, highly highly desirable. Yeah. You know, and I feel like I'm fortunate enough to know my skill set. So I've got good safety net and it's always worked itself out. I've supported my family. Yeah. I've always been all right. 
you know? Yeah, you've done incredible. I guess with Angel Investing School, just to understand how, how people can, can people get in the programs, or if they apply, like what's the process yeah. and what type of things do you cover? So the way it works is that um, the Angel Investing School teaches you how to invest into, into startups. Okay. Okay. And it's a five week course and we're working, hopefully the university soon to get accredited and in partnership with a university, which would be really big for us. Mm. And um, off the back of finishing the course, we have a, a number of uh, investors who commit, let's say 50K a year into startups that we try and get them into some of the best deals that we have access to because we have the relationships with some of the top investors across Europe and hopefully soon Africa as well. Amazing. So that's what we do. We train you up so you can learn how to invest and then we get you investing. And for those that are new to angel investing as a topic, we do a, a number of like events. Our newsletter is weekly is really informative. Mm. And we've got like a free guide called like, um, the the like, uh, fundamentals of angel investing or basics on how you angel invest. So mm. we do a bunch of, a bunch of free content mm. just to create awareness and education, especially for founders and not only professionals who want to get started with investing because the founders also have to learn how to speak the language and raise money from angels. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and that, it sounds like you're constantly feeding knowledge into even people that are just interested yeah, as well. So that's really good to know. Just a question around the money side of things. Mm. As an angel investor, do you have to be really financially literate? Um, and do That's you have to question. have a lot of money yourself just because you might obviously be handling? So do you have to, like, what's the requirement? So I'll mention two things. So in the UK, we have something called the Financial Conduct Authority, which is, the, which is basically um, the people that set the terms or the laws around, like, financial products and financial institutions. And they say that you need to either be a high net worth individual, so someone that earns 170K a year or more, or something called a sophisticated investor. And there's a number of things to meet that criteria. One of those things is that you're part of an angel group or angel network for at least six months. And they're trying to put protections in place so that you don't afford more than you can afford to lose into something you don't understand, which is the right thing to do. So really my kind of rule of thumb is that you want to be thinking about investing in a portfolio and not just a single startup. Technically, you can invest as little as a thousand pounds, but really to be able to be say that I can afford to do this, you want to be able to invest, I'll say between 25 to 50K a year. If not, it's not right for you right now in your life. And that's okay. So I always try and set people up in the right way so that they can do this on a sustained basis rather than just invest one or two thousand into deals here and there, which you can do technically, but it'll be hard to build up your portfolio in that way. Um, until mm. you can afford to invest in that way. So ideally, someone should have on reserves a minimum fifty k. Yeah, like I would reserves. say even 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 twenty k. Even twenty k. Yeah, 20, really. Yeah, because twenty k you can invest five k into into four startups a year as part of a bigger round. I can oh. do something called a they call it a special purpose vehicle where I bring up my friends into a deal with me. So I invested in Avery Estelle last year. I brought nine other friends with me. Cumulatively, we invested about 120K. The biggest investor invested 35K in that group. The smallest oh, wow. investor invested 2,000 pounds in that group. But I used this SPV to pull all of our money together. And, oh. and that's a way. That's it. And these are the things I, that I we teach. I didn't know that. And you know what else? There's tax relief in the UK that's very unique that, that encourages people to invest into entrepreneurs. And it means that on my income tax bill, yeah. I can get tax relief of up to 50 50% back from the investments that I've made. So if mm. I invest 10,000 into an Avery Estelle, I can claim back 5,000 off my income tax bill. They call it the SEIS and EIS scheme. So I end up investing half that amount, really. Does what, that make what, sense? Per, per investment or? Yeah, yeah. Up, it's up to, I think, a million a year. So it's like. Really? Yeah, so something, something like that. So I, if I invest 10,000 pounds this calendar year into, into startups that are SEIS or EIS registered, I can get back 5,000 back in my tax relief. So I only invested 5,000, even though there is, they invested 10. It's like the government investing the other five for me. Really? Yes. I and this is the thing. That. That's why we, that is why we're democratizing so access to. Stretching my money. Exactly. And especially if you think about your tax bill, it takes your tax bill down. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people that are wealthy are actually using that as a tax efficient way to oh. invest and claim back some money. So if they're investing, let's say the 20K mm. or 50K, mm. they're getting 25K back in their tax relief. How much, um, like what's the requirements and how, like, how much do people have to pay to be on the course? The course is £700. 
is that is that it it's probably going to go up actually next year when we get accredited with a university because then we have that credibility behind us as well but it's 700 pounds um to go through the five-week experience the next course is actually in january by the time that this comes out we've probably done our december open day um but we run it three times a year at the moment in january may and september we'll see how that changes once we get accredited that's amazing. Yeah, and it's free to join the community and to plug into all of our like events and newsletter yeah. and everything. So the first port is just join the newsletter, immerse yourself, get to know us and as a community and like all of us, what unites us, the people that we teach is the spirit of service. Yeah. Like not only want to invest money, but to be able to invest your your expertise and your network to make a difference to this entrepreneur mm. who's trying to shape the future of the world and the planet for the better. I love that. Well, I'm now in your network, so absolutely anything employer branding, recruitment, DEI. Oh, absolutely. You know, networking. I'm I'm your girl, so just. Well, I think I already made an introduction to one of my portfolio companies around onboarding tangent. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, you did. Yeah. Spoke to Gary. Yes. He was dope to talk to. Absolutely. Like we had such a great conversation. You see the power of connection again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just an introduction before we'd even had this podcast, and I'm thank you to you as well for spending time with him and helping out on that. Yeah. challenge that he had yeah I completely forgot that I had that conversation but Mm. that conversation yeah we managed to go through things that you know he needed to know and also I'm happy to help anyone else like through your network let me know like this is what you're doing is incredible impactful and where I'm happy to spend my time is for the development of people that actually have invested in themselves already Mm. because there's too many people that when I'll be asking questions and you haven't started anything mm, <laughs> but but, so but, but when you've when you're on the journey I'm happy to, to walk with you and help help you you know further I love on, and so. appreciate that because your time is valuable as well so yeah yeah I appreciate you sharing that thank you well yeah but thank you thank you so much for we coming could go on for another today. two hours I know easy, we could we could <laughs> we could but we have to we have to leave the studio so you know we have to wrap up but it's been amazing um, having you here today so thank you for sharing your story for being open for sharing intricate details um really even i'm so sorry to say about your father i know it was a decade ago mm. but it's like sharing things like that is is deep to me so thank you no, i appreciate that thank you for, for creating this platform and like i said like steering and navigating a conversation the way that you did you're truly gifted at what you do oh thank you thanks so much and um, where can people find you and and also in the angel investing school yeah like my we sign up to my personal newsletters andyayim.com or check me out on linkedin and then angelinvestingschool.com and you can sign up to that newsletter and i think that's always the first port of call to just enter into the tribe and learn a bit more about what we do Okay, amazing. So make sure you sign up. And then also, one last thing, um, every single guest that I have on the show um, just leaves us, well, leaves listeners with just one piece of advice that they probably wouldn't have thought about. I know you've given a lot of advice, but if there's one thing that you just want to give as food for thought to listeners, um, what would you like to say? Well, one of my values at home with my family is to play the long game. And it's, it's this mantra of like focusing on direction over speed. And not being in a rush to get to to where you're trying to get to, but instead fall in love with the journey and taking your time and recognizing that it's a game of inches. And over time, those inches compound and add up. So Mm. just just play the long game, focus on direction over speed, and remember to stay in your lane because you're not racing against anyone else. Period. Period, period, period. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Make sure you take that away. Play the long game. And remember to share this podcast episode because we can't be selfish, okay? Share it. um, Leave us your feedback. Subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes going forward. And thank you so much for just rocking with us, listening, um, for those who have been. And yeah, just being a part of the community. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye.